aside from the technical side, most of it comes down to us selecting very good partners that we work with. And when I mean partners, I mean clients here. It goes both ways. It's not just that the clients are selecting us as a provider, but it's, it's our selection criteria of whom are we working with. Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey, B2B friends, this is Ledge again. As you know, I'm a founder and managing partner of Ad One Zero, where we work with B2B companies to help 10x sales and uh, actually get in there and, and close deals. And we love talking to B2B leaders. As you know, today I have Sharif Cosman with me. He's the CEO and founder of Extreme Solution. I just learned that they're coming on their 20-year anniversary. Nobody keeps the same job, let alone the same company going. So we're going to have a, we'll have a good conversation. Uh, but Sharif, say hello, introduce yourself and uh, your company. Happy to be here, Ledge. Thank you. Yeah, um, uh, we're, we're super excited. We're crossing that 20-year mark. So again, I'm, I'm Sharif Cosman. I'm the CEO and the founder of Extreme Solution. We are uh, a 20-year-old now, digital transformation consultancy. We're focused on digitalization, workforce collaboration, business continuity through developing um, and building digital tools, offering consultancy, implementation, and managed services for cloud solutions. We are partners for major service providers and technology companies like uh, Google Cloud, Google Workspace, Iotobia, and Haiku. And recently, during 2020, we've been partners with the PathCheck Foundation. It's a nonprofit that has been focused on building technology solutions to help fight the spread of COVID-19 throughout the world. I myself, I, I like to say that I'm always an engineer at core. I hold a, a bachelor's of computer science and information technology, and I've been in the tech space since the late 90s. Um, I'm a father of two um, and a husband. And if it's not tech related, I do love cooking. Yeah, I saw that on your on your LinkedIn. I, I love eating, so maybe we should hang out. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> yep. How old are your kids? Uh, I got 10 and 13. Okay, yeah. Uh, a boy right. and a girl. That's awesome. And uh, a two-year-old puppy. Oh, that's a lot of work too. So it is a lot. I always say that my kids are my organic startups. It's a lot more work than yes. actually doing the, the work part. So <laughs> that, that is definitely the case. That's awesome. So 20 years, uh, that's a big path. There's a lot of vocabulary change in there. The, the word cloud didn't even exist. 20 years ago, we were talking about application service providers as maybe the maybe a SaaS type of preamble, but man, there's been a lot of stuff there. So tell me some stories. Yeah, let, let, let me put it this way. I come I come from a generation and an age group that kind of been so lucky. We've seen it all since the mid-90s. 
um, all until today, since the days where the internet access was for a limited uh, group of people with a very, very slow speed of 55.6 kilobits per second. Now we're seeing gigabits of, of, of internet access. We've seen the start of the internet, the operating systems, the browser, the, the, the whole thing. And I think since the age of 14, when my dad got me my first internship, um, I knew that this is this is what I like doing. I didn't definitely envision that this is going to be the path, but anything that's tech related, computer related, was 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 kind of fascinating. Fast forwarding into late nineties, early two thousand, and when I was in college, and then I wanna I wanna start something. I didn't know exactly where that's going to be lead. I was again twenty year old kind of dude that knows how to set up computer networks and and mess with stuff. Uh, I've been online for kind of five years, but I wanted to do websites. There was no mobile apps at the time, but uh, websites, computer networks, get into the tech thing. The the equivalent of cloud back then was data centers yeah. and co-location where you get, you put your own hardware and start putting your own software into that internet kind of fascinating environment. And this is where it took off. We started off with this small company building um, websites and, and um, very small IT kind of solutions, uh, small company networks and, and IT services, and then started growing from this. A few years down the road, I think when Nokia was 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 a killer with the Symbian and the J2ME um, handsets, I got fascinated by the whole model of that B2C kind of where you can reach consumers directly through apps and games. Um, and this is where we started upping up the game a bit from websites into J2ME and, and, and mobile apps that are in their simplistic form. We have set some rundown with telecom carriers, originally in Egypt, where we started the company, doing distribution of content, mobile games, things like ringtones and, and, uh, and the IVR services. But it, it was growing so fast, maybe two, three years down the road, and then Steve Jobs came with this amazing thing called the iPhone. And I was like, wow. And it hasn't been like maybe a year after the launch of the iPhone that there's something called the App Store, where you can actually build super cool mobile apps and everything. So we jumped on that mobile app wagon um, at the time. Sorry to explore, how do you do this? How do you build this? What does it mean? What kind of skill set that engineers need to have to actually do that, that everybody is doing? Um, and this is where we started shifting a, a bit of focus from the, what we call the legacy at that time, kind of technology solutions into mobile app development. For years, we've, we've been focused on mobile app development. We've been one of the very first companies uh, starting doing this on, in a B2B kind of model where we engage with businesses uh, to see their needs in terms of being on a mobile storefront. How do you need to be seen and used by your users um, through mobile? And this is where we're focused for a bunch of years. Things started progressing as we go over the years and, and the, 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 lands, the landscape started expanding. You need to offer more turnkey solutions, more end-to-end -end kind of thing. And this is when I think by 2011, when the, the cloud started to materialize a little bit in the early days for AWS and then Azure, and then years after uh, GCP, things were... Um, we're kind of looking interesting um, in terms of from an engineering standpoint. And this is where we started to look at the entire landscape of offering full turnkey solutions, getting back our experience from the web days and then the mobile and then adding more and more into infrastructure knowledge. This is actually my, my, my core 
as an engineer. I used to be a, a systems and a networks engineer. So this was all like everything is coming in together. It's now easier than ever to just put things into scale, uh, fuse different technologies uh, into one and offer more value um, to our partners and clients uh, more than any other time. 2021 and all you need is just um, um, a handful of skilled engineers and you can launch a mass scale product globally without the need of all that hard stuff that we used to face back in 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 2001. I remember pulling cables in in data center, uh, you know, and getting yes. all dirty under the floorboards and you know then you're like what what does this plug into and you're chasing yeah, down runs one... KVM switches the works. <laughs> yeah, the thing I mean massive rooms of of stuff and you don't even have to think about that anymore and even starting businesses before Cloud, it was so expensive, you know, like uh, the the service that we have now where you can pay pennies to to run, you know, computer operations. It's uh, it's extraordinary. So I don't know, like focus in on if, if you zoom out, focus on, you know, two or three maybe lessons that that stick out that, you know, that you can share from that journey because you really have been through several iterations then. Personally, again, over 20 plus years of, of, um, of working in that space, I, I think even my, my personal interest is not the technology itself. Technology keeps changing, as, uh, as I've just explained, over 20 years, that has changed drastically. It's, it's that essence, the core, which is the human factor. I, I believe our greatest investment in, in, the, in the organization has been our engineers, our our people, the, how we focus on how they can up their skills, their mindset, how they do uh, go about problem solving, how um, how they enhance their human capacity in terms of solving problems and delivering value um, across the entire uh, chain. That is the most important part. A- anything else just goes small compared to that. Technology keeps changing, and we will keep pace. We will keep up with it as we go. I think focusing on your team, your human resource, that capital is the most important part. And I think this is where we, years back when we got introduced into the whole agile kind of, I don't know I'd say dilemma, but I'd say it was it was a buzzword that everybody keeps jumping on. And we, we jumped on it early on. And I told you, so what was that meaning? Everybody was like, this is the next thing. This is how you deliver value quickly. This is this is how you get things done in a different way. And years back, years after that, it, it became more of a tainted word in a sense. Because <laughs> yeah, well, p- people people seem to have an organization. Some of the organization seems to have lost that essence of agility in terms of rituals. In terms of right. uh, we need to have. Uh, specific set of meetings and stand-ups and and retrospectives and we have to do things in a kind of a specific format and it's uh, this pattern versus this pattern or and kanban scrum way, yeah just on and on yes. like and and it becomes dogmatic more than it becomes yes, and, useful and and people people uh, people lost the way in a sense and in, in the true value and if, if if again um if i recall the entire thing was was coined with one principle, delivering value to customers. If you're not delivering value, if you're not delivering this fast, if you're not delivering it with a specific uh, quality level, then you're not agile by all means. And I think this is where we started our own journey, exploring what does agile means? 
Is it the things in textbooks where you get, uh, or the certificates and we get a certified Scrum Master or a certified Agile developer, certified something like that. And it was all about certification. It's actually about focusing on delivering value. And I think this is the key principle that we um, as a team uh, focus on every day. Um, how do we deliver value better, faster, without compromising our own principles? And how do you know you're delivering value on a small incremental way? What are your ways of evaluating and measuring value? I think one of the key measures for that would be the customer's feedback. If they're engaged into that process, if they believe that they they are getting something um, with every iteration, with every feedback, there's change to what they're getting, that would be the main driver or matrix that we base things upon. And again, the, the, the customer here is not just the end user. The customer here can be an internal stakeholder. It can be a project manager. Um, it can be a business executive. But again, that other party need to confirm and, and give feedback that they're they're seeing change. They're seeing value of what being handed over to them. Um, I think that's that's one of one of the main things that you can calculate things. And the other thing, the internal stakeholders, which is the team itself, they believe that whatever they're picking up in terms of skills, in terms of knowledge, in terms of process change is actually making things faster, easier, cleaner. That would another be another indication that you're going down the right path. How, you know, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, have either invested in software and, you know, uh, IT services and develop maybe development of apps or applications, SaaS products, you name it. I mean, this is just, it's ubiquitous, right? You can't avoid it. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, like, with your perspective of, of 20 years, you know, how does somebody know they're selecting the right partner? I mean, you know, you and me both, we've seen like hundreds of, dev shops, you know, and I mean, that's just like, it's not a, it's not a thing that, you know, that there aren't a lot of providers for, and, and there's room for lots of great providers because of all the need. I just wonder how you, how you think about that is how does, how does somebody select a great partner? That's a tricky one because it, it, it's more like marriage in a sense where, where, where you, you may have all the, uh, the right indications, but it may not work out at the end. For some reason, um, I I believe the right approach or the the one of of the approaches that would would make things easier first is do do your due diligence um, about this um, um, dev shop or company what products that they have released is there's these products still uh, live or not if there's if there are public products not um, uh, internal ones is there being reviews on that products is does it get good feedback good bad feedback try them yourself the the, the other thing about Agile, um, and if, if you go into a, a mode of agile contracting, for example, which is not a common term, is that you can have more of a trial period where you have a specific milestone that you've set forward with your, with your uh, partner. And based on that, you would measure that this is actually working or not. If there's changing, there's, there's a, a more value being presented. Or, and by the end of that time, probably maybe a three-month period, a four-month period, if it doesn't work out, you move to the next one uh, with whatever you came out with um, as an output and then carry on for, for um, a different partner. But without actually getting your hands dirty into that relation and, 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 and get, into the, get some skin in the game, I don't think that you'll be able to know which one's good and which one's bad. And unfortunately, the relative thing is that you have to try a few bad apples before you find the one. And 
the good part is that once you find a good partner, you're going to stay then for for the long haul. And I think this is this is one of the things that we're really proud of in in um, um, at Extreme Solution is that we we have a very high retention rate in terms of clients. We have clients that have been with us for almost ten years, and and they they get other companies from all over the place knocking on their doors, but they don't move out. And it's not about being the cheapest or or, or the most cost effective. It's just the real value of partnership comes when in the downtime, not the uptime. When things hit the fan, in a sense, this is when you need to find a partner to know that you have a partner that you can rely on. And I think this is one of the main values that we present to the people that we work with is that they know that if things goes go south, we're going to be there for them. We're going to be there to support. We're going to be there to fix. And, we, and we, we value their business in a way that it's our own, not just theirs. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure in all that time you've seen things go south sometimes for your own oh, business. You know, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah, sometimes for you, right? So like, what, what were some of the stories and ways that you got past the tough days? Because being a founder is rough. You know, and, and there I remember in some of my businesses, there were days I woke up and like, I didn't want to go to work. And I'm like, I built this, you know, <laughs> like I, there's no excuse. Like I, I'm the reason that this isn't good today. Uh, so I don't know what, how have you gotten past the tough times? Aside from the technical side, most of it comes down to us selecting very good partners that we work with. And when I mean partners, I mean clients here. It, it goes both ways. It's not just that the clients are selecting us as a provider, but it's it's our selection criteria of whom are we working with. There, there have been numerous times when infrastructures were, um, they're facing outages for different reasons, either reasons related to something that we have at work or maybe um, um, a cloud data center that went um, offline for some reason. And you have always, you, you always need to be there to ensure that you're communicating with your partners, what's the, the cause and how are you going to mitigate it? And if there's actually an immediate solution or there's not, but you're planning to um, mitigate that in the future by having contingencies or different plans if this might happen. They, at, at some point, they're only what you, ha- you can do is just ensure them that you're there to take on the lead when when um, if things go wrong, um, especially if there's no technical immediate solution that you can do. On the other hand, we are in a continuous state of what I call continuous learning and continuous improvement. We we face issues every day, literally every day, um, on the engineering side, on the operation side. But the best part is that with every problem, with everything that we face, is that we add an additional enhancement task where we know we face this today, what are we going to do tomorrow in order not to face that and just be ready for the next one? And I think this is this is one of the key values that we we respect a lot um, in our team, and we keep track of that. It is a continuous improvement. It is a continuous le- continuous learning process that we go through. Absolutely. And this is the partner that you want at the end of the day. Somebody who's there for you and who can take on responsibility and accountability. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, having been in the consulting seat for both development and and management consulting and you know all the technology consulting all different types of things i wonder how you handle the beginning of relationships one of the hardest period that we all go through is when we bring on a new client and there's a lot of work to do and yet you and i both know no client wants to pay for discovery setup 
you know, like they just think that stuff magically happens, you know, and that they don't want to do that. So what are your tips, you know, for the beginning of a client relationship? One thing that I've been doing for the last 20 years, and I think I'm going to be doing always, is I do a lot of homework, not just about the client. Mm. We do a lot of homework about their line of business. What does revenue and ROI means in their line of business, in their eyes? What are the things that would be good for them in terms of a product or a, a change? What things that are not good for them? What are their competitors are doing? Who are their competitors? We usually go into that first meeting trying to know more about their market and their business more than they do. This inspires confidence. This inspires that we understand where their pain are. Um, most of the time, clients would come to us with a context of a problem without understanding or finding what the real problem is. They 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 would uh, what do you call it? the effect of the problem. So they they're having low sales in a, in a certain, but they wouldn't know that maybe that tool that they're using is hindering the conversion rates. So it's it's our job, it's it's our role to know what the real cause is, and we start advising again into what needs to be done. I, I, I like to position ourselves, uh, I usually call it in that first meeting, we're a technology investment company. You invest your money into a technology solution or tool with us so you can have a better or a positive ROI. So you come for us to do uh, more understanding, more digging into what the real problems are, how's that affecting your ROI, and how we can fix this using technology. I envision technology as just a vehicle and a tool. It's not the end game. You don't come, most of the clients, they don't come to us just to build technology products. Mm -hmm. They have a different problem that they want to fix. And luckily enough, technology is that vehicle that's being used to solve that. And this is what we try to always explain and go through. We will try to to fix your core problem just using technology. Right. right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. What are some of the major problems that, people come in with? Like, how do I know as a business that I might benefit from these types of investments? I think it's, it's easy to get into the weeds of your own business and not even notice the problem. But I do know maybe, you know, I, I experienced the symptom, but I don't know how to fix it, or I don't even know that I should be proactive and fix certain things. What do you, what do you see there as the common threads when people come in? Again, it, it depends on the line of business, but we can, we, I think we can group those into like broad problems. Um, there's there's commerce problems like uh, low sales, low conversion number rates in, in terms either, um, either uh, regardless, this is a brick and mortar uh, kind of business or it's a, a, a digital business. If it's um, a technology solution or a, um, or a web product, usually it's uh, there's slowness, there's latency, there's scalability issues, there's downtime issues. Those are the kind of problems that people face every uh, uh, most of the time. It's either money-related or performance-related. And this is where you start getting alarms, especially if it's in a, in a space where others are growing and you're not. Uh, and this is where you start, oh, there's something wrong here. I just need to be able to find. It's like when you feel something wrong with your body and then you go to, you visit the family doctor. And then family doctor starts sending you into different specialists. And I think this is where you start getting the hints that you have an issue. You might not know what the issue is. So you start going into a consultant to steer you into the right direction. This might be an infrastructure problem. This might be a user experience problem. This might be a business model problem. And depends on 
that problem, you'd, you'd engage with the, with the right uh, doctor or physician right. uh, to help you uh, fix your problem. I bet very often you see people come in that think they have a technology problem. In reality, they really have a product market fit or some kind yes. of marketing or you know some kind of issue there. And they're trying to solve it with more features. And that's not what's necessary. That, that's true. There's a very common theme uh, that I've seen over the the last few years, especially with the with the influx of apps in the business, is that somebody would would come into a meeting and says, "I want to build an app for A, B, and C." I mm-hmm. was like, I just take a step back and I was like, "Let's rock the app part, and then try to understand what do you actually? Why are you selling? Why are you targeting? What do you want to do? Right. What's the business model here? Where?" And the common question I always ask: Where is your money coming from? Let's a- answer those first, and then we see if we need to build an app. Or not. There's a lot of time when people don't need to build apps. They can just get away with it with just building a simple website mm-hmm. that is mobile oriented. So there's a lot of times when people come and just, I want to do so and so and so and so. I was like, you just need to couple, take a couple steps back. I know this is unorthodox for me to say no to business, but I'm, I'm looking to a long-term relation here that three, five, 10 years relation that we're going to be having when you thrive. If, if you shut down after one year, this is not good, good business for me. I want to ensure that you're there for a long time so I can actually have recurring business with you. I had that conversation so many times. Yeah, it's like I cannot in good conscience take your money because that idea is terrible. <laughs> and like yes. I know yeah. you won't make money. And for me to flush $50,000 of, of your money into my company – and smile at you and just take it like you're not going to be happy. And it's more often than not, especially on the new idea side. Yes. Yeah. I, I want to be the Dropbox of something. I want to be the Uber of something. I want to be I was like, okay, is there actually market for that there? Is there a business model? And nine times out of 10, there's none. Uh, they may go do it with somebody else. But I, the issue is that I think this is one of the main reasons why our clients and partners stick with us for the long haul. We're there to, we, we, we have a reputation of saying no, by the way, not yes. And when we say no, it's in good conscience that this is not good for your product. This is not good for your service. We have done our due diligence. We've done our homework. And we believe if you do this feature or you go down this business model, it's going to impact you negatively rather than positively. And it's ultimately your decision, but it's our uh, responsibility as a partner to ensure that you have all the facts before going forward. I used to think of it as like a fiduciary responsibility that I I would put on myself. It's like, if I was managing your money, I would tell you not to do this. And uh, it's, you have to, you probably have a lot of time and effort spent in telling people no. How many, what what percent of your time gets spent on not taking business? Uh, I wouldn't say not taking business, but saying no to existing clients on, 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 on what they have. And the other part is, I think opening the eyes of new clients about the reality of what they come in with. I'll give that maybe um, 50-50. The problem is people get come so excited with, with incomplete ideas. And to be, to be perfectly honest, I've been down the startup path before, twice. And I failed miserably. And I'm proud of that failure. And, and, and uh, at some point, I would share, why did I fail? And because I, I've done all the classic startup mistakes. Uh, that you would do as a founder. You thought that you have a winning idea without validating the market. You would you would build 
um, um, an almost near perfect complete product without having an MVP to test it out. I've, I've gone through the whole thing over the last 20 years. And this is when I get um, a new client um, or somebody is going to build his um, product or concept. I try to go through, down the same uh, train of thought with them to understand what they're actually going into. And this is where we start um, exploring if it's actually worth it or not. There's a lot of times when when we find one feature within the entire concept that would actually be the valuable part. This is where you need to be focused on. And I, I remember years back, um, there was one startup that I was mentoring. They had this complete ecosystem, but it didn't go anywhere. But there was one feature in that uh, in that company that really did stood out. And years later, this feature became the entire company, which is, has, has raised millions of dollars over the years and been used by top-notch uh, technology company as a service after that. Um, so it just sometimes you just need to see things from the right angle. And this is where we try to help. And then we help them build it and maintain it. Absolutely. Well, and you, you have long-term clients because of your diligence of only taking on things probably that have long-term viability. So uh, you, yes, you have the relationships and you say no to people uh, and that builds credibility. Uh, but also, and I, I relate to this completely, we turn away a lot of clients on the sales side, just like you don't have sales because there's no market for this and nobody wants it. Now I can help you sell or reposition your thing, but the reality is like in some cases, this will never make any money. And, uh, you know, I, sometimes I'm sorry, we, we need to turn away your, I, like, I can't in good conscience take it. Uh, providing sales is, is not that different than providing any solution. You know, I've, I've discovered that. Uh, absolutely. And uh, what tools do you recommend? Let's say people are listening to this. They're trying to validate a new idea. There's all kinds of books and there's all kinds of tools and different things people can do on their own. Which ones do you like? I've I've been I've been a, a long term fan of Eric Rice, uh, the Lean Startup. Uh, it has helped me a lot among other things. But um, the Lean uh, methodology of of management and later on development of of services and products have been quite interesting. And and I think it has gone through uh, years and years of harnessing and 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 there's a, a global community around it. And the main focus there is just getting rid of waste. And getting rid of waste makes you focus on what counts. And then there's that feedback loop that you keep putting into your workflow, either it's sales, either it's product development, either it's marketing. You wanna you wanna you you're in a continuous mode of experimenting where you test one thing, you get results, you read it, you analyze it, and then you integrate it back into the next experiment. Um, and 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 through that process, you you try to get rid of anything that would be delaying you what it considered as waste um and, and that i think that was the cornerstone of of a lot of things that i've been working on over the years uh, that lean methodology uh, was was um, was was pretty intense and over over the years uh, we've came up with with our own framework uh, internally it may not be fit for everybody but again it's what we've discovered and i think this was the true essence of agility is that it's like sports and, 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 and um, a team sport like um, soccer or football. What kind of game plan that works for one team may not work for the other. And you have to understand that. It's a good coach who would understand to find the right plan, the right ingredients, the right players that would make that team thrive. 
this is where we came up with we, we call it the LAD, the LAD, Lean, um, Agile, um, DevOps. Um, those are the three phases or the three eccentric circles where we try to um, uh, work with. There's lean management in terms of focusing on the product workflow, in terms of reducing waste and iterating uh, a feedback loop. Agile development um, um, internally in terms of um, going into an iterative manner, delivering value continuously and responding to change. And then the last part, which is the DevOps methodology, um, and this is more of our engineering and DevOps teams to ensure that we're continuously um, delivering our systems in a way that is is automated. It's uh, linked to our um, principles of engineering and how to deliver value. So this is, at least is the what we came up with over the years. I maybe five years from now that's going to change or at least evolve. Um, but I think this is the beauty of being in, in a continuous. A learning phase, continuous improvement phase, and this is what's never going to change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think all the founders who are listening could really take that away. That at any time you can continue to iterate your framework, and you should read as many things as you can, and you should take the pieces and parts that make sense to you. Do the work. Sit down. Think about your framework, and also know that you should look at it from the standpoint that maybe next year I'm going to toss this. Yeah, you it's not might throw stone, it away. It's not a scripture. Yeah, right, right. And don't get dogmatic about your thing because it may not apply anymore. And if you have a long-term business, uh, like like a twenty-year time frame, the the pace of change has only picked up. So I mean, it would be literally irrelevant in twenty years to even use these words. Just the same way as twenty years ago, there was no cloud. You know, so that durability, if you really aim to have a going concern. It's all, yeah, all going to be I, in your brain. I, I think if, if you set um, a few principles that your business is going to be revolving around and then you understand that the frameworks only have to serve those principles regardless of the frameworks, you're going to have a, a true uh, North Star. Um, so delivering value, reducing waste, customer satisfaction. There's there's a few principles that, you, that will be fit to your organization. If you have those as the guiding star for you, any framework that you select is um, is going to be correct if they if they fit into those set of principles for the organization. And I think this is what we've been trying to do over the years. Well, well done, well done. It's it's awesome to to have you here. Uh, before you. we run out of time, how can people get in touch with you? Where's your uh, preferred way to to get reached if people want to you know have a chat about these things? Sure. Um, my website is sharifkozman.com. That's S H E R I F K O Z M A N. Com. People can reach out to the website. There's a link there to book a 15-minute time slot. Or they can use our company website, it's your extremesolution.com, to reach out directly to the organization. And again, I'm always happy to have a chat and help, even aside from the work side. Absolutely cool. Well, Sharif, man, great, great ideas. I love I love the wisdom of Thank your you. Thank you, of your journey. It's been uh, fun I'm, having I'm, you. I've been happy to be here. No, I've been happy to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.